Welcome to the voice of the child. The law in England and Wales says that children should spend time with both parents after a separation, as long as that contact doesn't cause them any harm. But a growing number of parents who've escaped abusive partners say that Britain's family courts are misinterpreting that law and that an irrational need by courts to push for contact at all costs is placing children at risk of harm. Sammy Woodhouse is a campaigner raising awareness about child sex abuse in England and a survivor of the Rotherham Child sexual exploitation scandal, which she exposed in 2013, having been groomed and regularly raped from the age of 14, eventually becoming pregnant by her abuser. Her activism led to the creation of an inquiry into CSE in Rotherham, which found that more than 1,400 children were victims of child sexual abuse, torture and murder in the town between 1997 and 2013. Victoria Hudson is a family court experienced mother who now campaigns to improve the system and has made regular appearances on national TV and radio to talk about the problems inside the family courts and to offer solutions to those problems. Together, they've launched a campaign with the Daily Express newspaper, which proposes a separate court system for victims of domestic abuse and violence, and crucially, allows victims the opportunity to overturn contact orders, which have placed them and their children at risk of further abuse. The campaign, which launched on the 15th of April, has already gone viral on social media and is backed by MP Jess Phillips, the Shadow Minister for Domestic Violence and Safeguarding. Sammy, Victoria, it's lovely to have you on The Voice of the Child. This campaign you've launched has received a lot of support over the last few weeks. Why did you decide to start this campaign? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for um, having me in Victoria. And for me, this started 21 years ago. So I was 14 years old and I was groomed, abused, raped and criminalised and sexually exploited by a man called R. Shadisane. And that went on for several years. And through that abuse and exploitation, I conceived a child. Uh, my son is now 19 years old. But it took me quite a while um, to recognise that I'd been abused. And unfortunately, when I did and I went to authorities, I was ignored and failed. And it took me a very long time um, to try and get those people to listen. And it was when I was about 27 years old, I contacted a man called Andrew Norfolk at the Times newspaper in London. And I shared my story with him. And what I wanted uh, people to know is um, that people like myself um, had been abused and failed by authorities in Rotherham. And Andrew published my story in, two, um, sorry, in August 2013. And um, my story um, went around the world and two things happened. Um, it triggered a investigation, which is now known as the Alexis J investigation, and that went on to show that there was over 1,400 children in my hometown alone that had been abused, raped, tortured, and some even murdered. And it also opened up a criminal investigation into every case in South Yorkshire. So that meant people like myself was going to have a chance um, to get justice. And uh, from then I started to campaign about many different issues. And what I realised is the more I spoke out, the more good that was coming from things. So people was coming forward, policies and laws were changing. And, um, you know, for my son, um, it was very difficult for him because not only did he have to now realise that, well, actually my mum um, is a victim of rape and exploitation, but he had to deal with the fact that he's, um, I don't like to 
to say this word, uh, but dad, because he's, he's not his daddy, he's a rapist, but um, my son had a very brief relationship with him, so he knew him as dad. Um, but he was the one responsible for this, and his uncles was also responsible for harming lots of other children. But he also had to deal with the fact that it was all over the news. And, you know, for my son to make sense of that, it was very, very difficult. But I contacted um, social care and I asked them for help and support um, with my son. My son had disabilities and also educational needs. So as a single parent, I was really struggling. And as well, I had um, a lot of mental health problems with what I'd, I'd been through. And... Um, my son was placed by myself onto a section 20, so that meant that I had all the parental responsibilities, but social care um, would support him. And because I weren't a danger to my son, he was allowed, you know, home at any time, and um, spent a lot of time at home, um, and there was nothing in, in place, as I know some some parents, they have to be supervised or have only certain hours um, a week or a month. But my son was on a Section 20 a lot longer than what he should have been, and that was because of our trial. Because I went to trial against my rapist, and it was a two-and-a-half-year investigation. But eventually he was sentenced to 35 years for what he did to me and other um, children. Now, social care came back to me, so this is Rotherham Council, and they said, you know, we now have to make a decision. Does your son come home? Um, and come out of, of social care or does he go into a full care order? Now, if he would have come out of social care and off um, that care order, then he wouldn't have received the support he needed and that would have been very dangerous for my son and for us as a family. But if I would have put him on the full care order, it meant that, um, again, I can see him whenever he wants, he can come home whenever he wants, but he will be given all that support that he needed. So me and Rotherham Council thought that was the best thing um, to do, to put him on that full care order. And that's where the family court situation came in for me. So when I went to the family courts, I remember I was with my ISBA and she was a great, um, great worker. And we thought that the day was just going to run smoothly because nobody was arguing or debating about what was going to happen. We was all in agreement. Um, so it was meant to be a very smooth process. But then a social worker said to me, um, Sammy, just to let you know, he's not coming. And I said, who's not coming? And he said, oh, she had a saying. And I was like, well, of course he's not coming. He's in prison for 35 years. Why on earth would he be coming? And what Rodham Council actually did was notify my rapist in prison that um, we was going through the family courts process and he would be invited to apply for full custody or um, you know parental rights over my son. And I was just in absolute shock. I remember my Israel worker saying to me, I can't believe how calm you actually are. And it was just because I was so in shock and I was just so mortified that this man... Um, that I'd proven, you know, in a, in a court of law and has been sentenced to 35 years for harming me and lots of other children. I'd also proven uh, that was harmful um, to my son as well, um, could be given an opportunity to have access to him. Um, you know, it was it was just devastating. Now, fortunately um, for me, or should I say, didn't collect the notification, so he never arrived in court. Um, and um, 
but what happened after and then the reason why I went public is because my son found all this you know really confusing and he wanted answers to questions and of course he did um you know he wanted to know why this man he knew his dad had done what he'd done to his mum and to all these other people and what I tried explaining to my son and to professionals is those answers are never going to be given especially from you know the rapist because he's not even admitting that he's at fault or that he's done wrong and so professionals were starting to encourage my son to go into prison to visit him to ask him directly what um what he'd done and um I decided um to contact Andrew Norfolk again at the Times newspaper um and I told him what happened and I also started working with MP Louise here and um again you know Andrew and Louise was just as mortified um, of what happened as as what I was and what I started to do you know through my campaigning work is speak to other women throughout the country and what I realized this is <clears throat> that this is a major problem for the country not just for me and Rotherham and they are women um, all over that are having their children removed and um, given to the men that have actually um, harmed them and their children <clears throat> some are having to uh, you know share that contact so they have to play happy families um with their perpetrators and it's it's just so wrong and children and the victims are just not um having their rights or needs uh, taken into account so the story went public um and again you know it it kind of just went absolutely crazy and I had people all over the world, you know, contacting me for interviews or for sharing their stories. In fact, even two years down the line, I was still getting around to replying to messages from women that was going through the same thing. I just couldn't believe how much of an issue it was. Um, and then, um, and that's how I uh, came into contact with people such as Victoria Hudson, um, Rachel Williams, um, Zoe Johnfield, etc. Um, and we seem to all be campaigning around similar issues. Just very quickly, Sammy, I wanted to just take you back for a moment. You said that your son had experienced harm as a result of this particular scenario and the way the courts treated contact. Um, can you explain what kind of harm uh, he experienced? Um, no, I never go into detail about what's happened to my son. Um, the the harm that actually came to my son was actually before the family cause, um, before I recognised that I was actually a victim of abuse um, many, many years ago when my son was smaller. Um, you know, that's when um, the harm came to him. But I, I never go into details of my son's story because that's not my story to tell. But what um, I will say is that um, my son testified with myself in a separate court case. So we, we testified in two um, in regards to intimidation against the family. Uh, they threatened my son as well. So um, when I said to the social worker, you know, how, how would this even work? He's in prison for 35 years, so how can he have custody? And what would happen is the rapist would uh, make all the decisions, such as, uh, you know, medical decisions, where he would live, where he would go to school. And, of course, he would, uh, you know, make the decision for my son to go live with his family. And, 
I said, well, my son's testified against the family. Um, you know, they, they've threatened to, to kill him and all sorts. How, how is that, um, you know, appropriate? So, um, you know, they, they didn't recognise any of that whatsoever. But what um, I found out um, afterwards, because uh, fortunately enough, my son didn't go into prison to see him. Um, but the rapist did actually phone my son from prison and through one phone call, um, yet again, my life was in absolute turmoil. And what I said to the social workers was, if you take him to go and see him, the only thing that's going to happen is he will deny what he's done. I'll be known and, and called as a liar. He will manipulate my son because he manipulates everybody and that's evidence. Um, and that's just going to, um, you know, cause major problems for me and my son. Um, and as I said, just on that one phone call, it caused many of problems. Victoria, why did you decide to launch this campaign with Sammy? I've had my own experience of family court, which was absolutely horrendous. Um, I think a lot of people in the country believe that when you go to uh, family court, you will gain justice and it's very family orientated. Um, the fact is that it is uh, very much a business and um, it's a very dangerous place for victims of abuse. Most victims of abuse will tell you that they're, they're not believed. Um, and that they're told that they're liars and that sometimes their children are forced into unsafe uh, contact with the perpetrators of their abuse. So after a horrendous um, um, experience myself, I started, I decided to go public uh, with my uh, case and my situation and that led into me campaigning. And I came across, first of all, uh, Zoe Dronfield and her campaigning around Practice Direction 12J with uh, Jess Phillips and Claire Throssell. And then I came into contact with Rachel Williams and her petition, which I think gained 250,000 signatures um, asking to stop um, the abuse of domestic abuse victims in family court. And then that led on to meeting, um, seeing Sammy's um campaigning with Louise Haig. That bill that went into Parliament by Sammy and Louise also asked for an independent investigation into family courts and their treatment of uh, abuse victims and their children. Uh, the government and the Ministry of Justice uh, said no, but what happened instead, there was a three-month review, well, what was supposed to be a three-month review, which turned into a 13-month review, and we had the results of that in June 2020. The Ministry of Justice published a 230-page document, which was their harms report, and that admitted the harm uh, that the Ministry of Justice and Family Court had, well, it admitted they harmed uh, domestic abuse victims and their children. Uh, so that was kind of our, you know, obviously then we were justified. The problem is that the government and the Ministry of Justice didn't put anything in place to rectify those decisions, so uh, those children that are being put into unsafe contact orders and those children who have had residency changes from the victim of the domestic abuse to the perpetrator of abuse, the government and the Ministry of Justice put nothing in the harms report to, for those people to go back for appeals or to change those orders. So basically those children are still having to go to contact um, which is unsafe, um, and there some children are still living with the perpetrators of the abuse. Some campaigners have been to Alex Chalk, and I know myself, I've asked him, um, you know, what can be done. 
and the only answers we've got is that they can, we can go back for appeals um, or we can go back for contact proceedings. Um, and as many uh, victims will tell you, it's nearly impossible to get an appeal because you're appealing a point of law. And um, as long as the judges implemented the law correctly, there's nothing you can do. So we're not, we're not, um, you know, questioning a safeguarding issue. We're not questioning um, uh, morals, ethics. We're, we're, we're questioning the point of law. Um, so as long as that's been implemented, it's impossible to go back for an appeal. And of course, with a contact order, if you've lost residency of your child to the perpetrator of the abuse, um, a contact proceedings is not going to get your child home. And of course, another issue is you're going back to the same broken system, the same professionals will be involved, you'll probably get the same judge, you'll probably get the same Kafkas officer, you'll probably get the same social workers, but all those people who have the same entrenched views um, that the abuse didn't happen, that it's historic, um, that it was isolated, uh, will we'll bring those same views back into the same case and you possibly might even get a worse court order because they may be punitive for questioning their original decision. In relation to the harms report, obviously it's a very long report and one organisation which crops up again and again is CAFCAS, the the body which is tasked with writing reports on children within scenarios involving separation and abuse. They were heavily criticised inside this report. I think they were mentioned more than 188 times. There are several paragraphs that are really concerning inside this harms report, and I'm going to read a couple of them to you and ask you both for your opinion on this. One of them is, mothers and professionals and organisations supporting them perceived that the default position of many of the professionals, including CAFCAS and the courts in child arrangement proceedings, was to treat allegations with a high level of suspicion. Many of the mothers told the panel that it felt to them that they were being accused of lying. Allegations of child abuse or child sexual abuse raised particular issues relating to suspicion and perceptions of disbelief. What's your comment on on that particular paragraph? That, um, for me, doesn't surprise me whatsoever because the amount of women that contact me and you know, even even myself now, you know, I've proven in a court of law that I was um, abusing. He's, he's been sentenced for thirty five years, and I still get some people saying I'm lying. Um, you know, there's DNA DNA proof. There's so much um, evidence and. You know, victims, I find, aren't believed. And, you know, people want to know why they don't come forward. Well, first of all, what you're asking them to do is to disclose the most horrific crime that you can commit to a a person and, and, you know, that person can actually go through. Then when you come forward, you get called a liar. You're making it up. Um, You know, you're kind of just doing it for attention or, um, you know, what I get accused of, I'm I'm doing it for for money or um, for fame Um, or that you're trying to weaponise your your children against, um, you know, somebody that's a good father. And, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of women think that they're going to have their children removed. And um, I've spoken about this quite recently that, um, you know, some women are having um, children removed when they shouldn't be. And I got um, a couple of social workers contact me tell me how disgusting I was for even raising it. I've had social workers say to me that they're going to try and even remove my youngest son based on predictions. Um, one thing they said was they predict because I was exploited when I was 14 years old that my youngest son would go on to be exploited. Um, well, my son hasn't been exploited and I fought it. 
Um, so, you know, for example, my son could have been removed from my care, put into um, a care system, probably would have been exploited and abused because the system's absolutely horrendous. Um, when he's here, you know, doing safe and well, um, their, you know, victims and, and children are just treated so badly. Victoria, there's another paragraph in, in this report, which is really shocking. It says, it was said by a range of professionals that CAFCAS is often impatient or quick to say that domestic abuse is not relevant to contact without giving any reasons or making a proper assessment for that decision. What's your view on that statement? It just proves everything we say in that there is a lack of domestic abuse training. Um, a perpetrator doesn't stop abusing just because they've ended the relationship and a perpetrator doesn't just stop abusing um, because there's no other adults around when they're having contact with the child. Um, usually there's a pattern of behaviour. And I think what we've found, I've been involved with the meetings for the four conjoined domestic abuse cases in High Court earlier this year. And um, what the judgment said is there is a, a lack of understanding of patterns of behaviour. And that's what we're finding that Kafka seems to feel like, like an incident that has been proven is isolated or it's historic. And as soon as the perpetrator leaves the uh, relationship, all of a sudden they're an angel and they're cured and they won't ever be violent again or they won't ever coerce anyone again. And this is just not, um, you know, this just proves the lack of domestic abuse training. Um, you know, we've obviously seen what happens when Kafkas don't take abuse into account. I think uh, the Child First campaign by Women's Aid, uh, they, their investigation and Victoria Derbyshire's investigation showed 21 children had died. I think Cliff Russell has just put up on a Twitter recently that that's closer to 30 children now. Uh, she lost her two boys very sadly because of a decision made by Kafkas. Um, so the fact that they're still being um, so stuck in their ways and still believe that they're they're in the right, it's just very concerning. After you know, there's no you know larger evidence that you can find that that, that than the murders of those children. So I'm not quite sure why they're still. Um, still believing that uh, abuse isn't an issue in child contact. Um, yeah, so as, as well, what um, I just want to touch on is that some professionals are thinking, well, you know, if we do this contact in a contact centre, if it's supervised, you know, everything's, um, you know, okay. Um, what they're not recognising is the emotional harm. Um, so, for, for example, when... Um, the rapist phoned my son from prison. You have, you know, my son with his mum saying, um, well, actually, this happened to me and I've gone to court for it um, to prove it and being proven. But then you have him saying, well, actually, um, I didn't do anything and everybody lied um, because he just wanted money, etc. Um, straight away, then you have my son um, in a situation where mum or dad is lying um, and that child, unfortunately, is going to have to kind of make a decision of who is lying. Um, so, you know, there's things like that aren't being taken into consideration and what a lot of the time is also happening is perpetrators are um, using their children as weapons um, to further control um, the victims. 
And that that goes back to the point about the disconnect inside the family courts between child contact and the relationship or dynamics between the two parents who are engaged in that conflict. There still seems to be a lack of understanding inside the court system around how that dynamic actually impacts children directly. I think, though, it, it can harm them in, in different ways. You know, it can, um, especially emotionally. And what what you are literally asking to do in, in a situation like that is asking the child to, to pick mum or dad. And when you have a parent that is, you know, so manipulating, so controlling, um, and wants to cause that harm, they, you know, they can do that. And it's it's very dangerous, um, I'm going to say, for, for women, even though I know there's male victims out there, but um, for women, because it's, you know, majority of, of women um, that are victims. Um, so, you know, I don't think anybody's kind of really thinking what is best for the child. And I, I remember actually... You know, when I was a child and professionals saying to me, do you want contact with, um, you know, this paedophile? And I, I said, yeah, because of course I didn't recognise it as abuse. I thought this man was uh, my boyfriend. And it, that turned out to be the biggest scandal in British history. But yet what Rodham Council did was ask the same question again, but this time to uh, my son um, and did the whole same thing, but said lessons had been learned. Um, and what, what they're saying is, well, we're listening to the voice of the child. You can't sit there and ask a child if they want contact with a uh, with a, a paedophile or a rapist. You can't put all that pressure on a child. It's up to us as adults, as professionals, to safeguard children and make the correct de- decisions for that child. So if you have someone that is, um, you know, violent, um, who's raping and, and abusing you have to remove the child from that situation and that's that's up to professionals to do that it's not up to professionals to put the child in that situation I mean if you look at my social care files um, social workers from Rotherham Council said if you Sammy put your child anywhere near this man we will remove your child because you've put that child at risk because he's a danger and I agree with that but then what they did went and give him uh, the opportunity to have that contact so what they're saying is well actually you as a mum can't harm your your child but us as professionals as a system well actually we can and we will and that is what is happening but that's an incredibly important point that you've made sammy and it touches upon a really dangerous contradiction inside the family court but just just going back to professional organizations and the responsibility that's placed on them to ensure that children are protected from harm kafkas as we mentioned earlier has been mentioned in the harms report several times and they were heavily criticized for the way they handle these kinds of cases but in their response to the report they didn't accept any of the findings and certainly didn't accept any responsibility for decisions that they did make which put children at risk of harm i just wanted to ask you both that that blindness and that failure to accept responsibility is this also a common theme in the family courts yeah, and it's not just in the family courts, it's with agencies all across the country. And what you find is, or what at least I found, is that professionals and agencies are more concerned um, with their reputations of them and their organisation um, than wanting to accept, um, you know, failings or criticism or 
ways to improve. I mean, when I said earlier that a couple of social workers got in contact with me and said how disgusting I were and that if I was speaking at an event, they'd actually walk out of it. They were so fixated with um, their reputation as a social worker and as agencies, they wasn't willing um, to accept, you know, facts and, and findings. And when I said to them, well, actually, if you look in the harms report, you know, it, it is proven. And it's proven time and time again, rather than what happened in there. You had thousands of children that was abused, raped, exploited and some murdered, um, totally ignored um, because of people's reputations. Yeah, 100% agree. I've seen it, um, it with, with local authorities and I've seen it with the police as well. Um, they mess up badly. And instead of putting those um, injustices right or um, making sure that the child is safe, they will just cover up, cover up, cover up um, until, you know, it's blown apart, like as, as, in it, uh, as it happened in, in Rotherham. But yeah, 100% agree. Uh, family courts will cover up, local authorities will cover up, CAFCAS will cover up. None of them will accept uh, until there's a murder and then they say lessons will be learned but lessons aren't learned and they just carry on exactly the same way until there's people like me sammy rachel williams or dronfield who campaign 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 and get the public to actually uh, learn what really is going on i actually got contacted by professionals and they said to me we've got some real concerns about what's happening um, you know, where we live and that abuse is, is being ignored and covered up, etc. Can you help? And I think that in itself shows how desperate some professionals are, because they are good professionals out there that want good practice for, for kids. But it shows how desperate they are to have to come to me as a, a campaigner to expose that. And what actually happened is, I, you know, I said, yeah, of course, you know, I'll, I'll help in any way. And I remember the uh, somebody in a very high position actually um, sent an email to every single person, well, every single professional saying that no one is to ever meet or speak with me because they thought I was going to come in there and do an exposure, uh, which I actually was. However, they were so concerned about protecting their reputation um, of, of their council, um, they weren't willing to listen to their very own professionals that had concerns about, um, you know, children in harm's way. Um, and again, you know, I just want to express, because people think this is only a case for Rotherham or Rochdale, it's not, it's throughout the entire country. What is it that you want your campaign to achieve? I want, um, and I, I think I speak for Victoria when I say this as well, um, I want every single person that's been forgotten, lost and um, fell behind to have a voice and a chance at justice because, you know, even though... Um, you know, you can make improvements, uh, you know, with different bills or, or whatever going through. You know, that's to help people in the future. And what you've got to remember is they are people that's that's been left behind, um, that um, you still have children and uh, victims in harm's way and no one's helping them. And that's unfair. You, you can't come out and say, well, actually, we've got all this evidence that harm has happened. Yes, we've hurt children, but we're just going to leave it at that. You've got a redress scheme as part of your campaign. How would that work? Well, what we're looking to do, what we would like to do in an ideal world, is set up a new system with domestic abuse trained judges, actually trained in all forms of abuse, so that would even cover 
um, uh, child abuse and um, CSE as well. And uh, the professionals that are involved in these cases would be uh, trained and everyone would be also trauma-informed and special measures will be put in place as well, as in uh, those that are um, recommended in the domestic abuse bill as well. So we would have a very um, a system that's set up to make sure that um, anybody who has uh, experienced abuse, they would have the best professionals involved to make sure that these cases where children are being sent to contact or there has been residency changes, they can look at it from a professional point of view and see if these contact orders are safe, see if these residency changes are safe, and if they're not, uh, they can uh, redress that. And what else would your campaign like to achieve? I think awareness as well. Um, I think what happens is the public believes that um, in the Ministry of Justice and in the Family Court, justice is done, and that's not what's happening. I think they believe that what is happening is in the best interests of the child, and that's not what's happening. Um, I think what's happening is in the best interest of the professionals involved. The, the divorce industry is obviously worth millions, and um, I think what happens is by continuing the divorce narrative that this is a conflict between the parents um, and not abuse, I think it's making everybody involved a a lot of money, but causing, as you see, a lot of harm to the victims of abuse and to the children. As well, it's a lot of that don't know what's happening. You know, people like me and Victoria and yourself, you know, we we kind of, because this is our area of things and because we've been through it, um, we know, but... There's, there's people that don't know what's, what's happening in the family courts. And I think that um, a lot of the trouble with the family courts is that it's private and that, um, you know, it's secret and we're not allowed to talk about it. And I think the family courts should be opened. And, of course, you know, not to identify, you know, any of the, the children or, or anyone involved, um, you know, to protect those identities. But I think part of the problem is the fact that all these professionals are able to do what they want with no one, um, you know, kind of being able to question or hold them to account. Um, if you look at the four cases that's been in the in the media quite recently, um, you know, they've they've been open for the press and for for the country to know about, but the identities have have been pre- uh, protected, so no one's been identified, and I think that's what should happen and I don't think that any professional whether you're a social worker, CAFCAS, a judge or whoever should have the amount of power um, that they have and I think with it, when you have that amount of power it can be very dangerous. What will you be looking to do next as part of your campaign? Well we've, um, we're talking to MP um, Jess Phillips later today um, so we're gonna, uh, you know, see what we can can do in that area of things. But um, as I as I always say that, you know, me and Victoria, we've we've done our kind of part of things. We've we've gone through it. We've shared it. We've contacted the media. We've contacted the MPs. We've told them what we think needs to be done. Um, you know, they need to do their part in this now. Um, and of course, me and Victoria will continue to work with you know, media and um, the government as, as much as we can. But, you know, they get paid to do this. This is their job now. They need to see this through. And do we, Sammy, do we want to add about um, what our campaign's called now? Um, yeah, can yeah. do. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, um, Natasha, we've decided to call it uh, Forgotten Victims of Family Court. When did you decide to name it that? Yesterday, <laughs> we, we were asked for a logo and we just decided, we were like, are we going to do a logo? Yeah, we should do a logo. Natasha, we're the most relaxed campaigners you'll ever meet in the world, I think. It's like our own album. <laughs> <laughs> what does your logo look like? Well, at the minute, I think I've done a hundred last night, so we haven't, actually, we haven't actually chose one. But yeah, it started looking a bit like a music album, so we thought we'd make a band. What do you reckon, Sophie? I think we should. Oh, thank you so much to you both. And I wish you lots of luck with your campaign. And I hope that it achieves the desired outcome for you and the thousands of children out there who are trapped in these terrible situations. Thank you. And thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Natasha. Mm-hmm.